0: Hey movie fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Untreated Media Podcast. This is episode 151, the final episode of Spoopy Month for the Year. And so we thought let's break out our creative juices once again and wrap things up in style by delving into the world of the classic universal monsters, which next year will be sell if I remember my math correctly. Um I'm trying to think if it was 1922. No, Nosferatu is 1922. Uh, but we're we just celebrated the 90th anniversary of the Universal Monsters recently. So, how do we adapt the Universal Monsters for a modern day? The Dark Universe tried and failed, Wolfman tried and failed, Dracula Untold tried and failed. What makes us think that we know better? We don't, but that's what we're gonna try and do today. We're just gonna have fun with it for our final week of Halloween. Let's look at the monsters that built the horror genre cinematically. How would we retell them in a modern context? At least for me, I did try and make it a modern universe, so to speak, of a cinematic universe. But it's not like Dark Universe where I'm just going to put all the eggs in one basket and put the cart before the horse, so to speak. I I think I tried to map it out a little bit better, but... uh. Josh, how you doing today?
1: I'm, I'm chilling, my dude. Uh, I kind of tried to do the same thing with her. Well, not – that's actually a lie. I did the exact opposite because I was too nervous about going full uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Um, I'm doing pretty good today, man. Uh it's – work has been insane. Like, oh, dude, last night, like, I it just got absolutely destroyed um it was not fun it was busy all day and it was not (laughs) yeah but besides that you know it's been pretty good it's been good to be back in in tennessee uh we're just starting to get our fall our actual fall weather so uh you know i know right and uh oh i don't know a little team uh from my hometown is showing out and going to the world series my dude
0: (laughs) yeah go braves
1: okay yeah, literally, let's... like, and that's like that's what I think. I, I think you and I talked about this when I was down there. It was, like, ha- having the Astros be the villains of the, of the MLB is literally, for me, the most satisfying thing in the world. Like, it's literally all of the MLB versus the Astros. Even, like, fan bases are that way. Like,
0: right I, I will hate the Astros for a while. But I think it's interesting that the Astros have, like, taken upon themselves to be self-aware that they're the villains. Yeah, like, yeah. after a certain point, they're just, like, Nah, screw your apologies. I've turned heel now, and you're gonna hate it. So, (laughs) if professional sports is wrestling, because it absolutely is at times, it's all just story based, it's... Eventually, like all wrestling things, they'll be heel for a really, really long time, but eventually people will turn back to liking them. <laughs> or maybe not. Uh oh, but yeah, I, I, I just know, find man. it so fascinating that they have like so fully embraced their heel status now of like Yeah, yeah none of us got punished. What are you gonna do about it type of thing? <laughs>
1: Yeah, to the point. And it's like it's a lot of like ESPN being kind of. I mean, part of it's ESPN's fault because they're pointing a lot of fingers at the Astros and not at any of the other teams that were also caught. But whatever. Anyway. uh Uh, Although (laughs) I
0: do find it funny that the ALCS was the two cheating teams most like caught. It was the Astros and the Red Sox. It's like there's no winner here, really.
1: No. It's just (laughs) who's
0: going to be the top heel against the top? Literally, whoever it is was going to be the baby face in the world series. Like we were this close to having the Dodgers be a baby face for once in their lives.
1: Jeez. Yeah, it was, it's been an interesting series to say the least. Uh, I I, I kind of laughed. Um, somebody said that the last two series for the Astros were just them getting ready to put on their boots for the, for the main event in world series. Cause they put one sock on and then took the other so I couldn't put that on. Uh, white socks red Sox. anyway all right well, hey right. man what have you been watching <laughs>
0: Enough uh, about baseball literally nothing i'm hoping to wow. see wow i'm literally hoping i'm hoping to see dune sometime this week uh, and some other stuff um yeah i'm trying to figure out logistically when i would get to see dune in theaters if not i don't want to watch it on HBO max but i will if i have to uh, yeah. Which it's not a discussion topic this week, but I'm a man. I'm man enough to admit it. Which is not something you hear people talk about on YouTube a lot is accountability. I'm gonna hold myself what? accountable uh, for what feels like two years now. I've said Dune will flop. Dune will flop. And by most standards, in most situations, this past opening weekend would have been considered a flop. But as it stands. Dune opened to $40.1 million this weekend, which, all things considered, is a very good thing. Yeah. Like, it's a property that's not really well-known except for diehard sci-fi fans. It's a long movie. It's a heady movie um, with a director who is not known for his commercial success. Like, he's known for... Fantastic movies, but he's not known for lighting up the box office. But yeah, I said this movie absolutely. would flop, and it's doing quite well. I haven't seen the HBO Max numbers, but I'd imagine those are pretty decent. So I just wanted yeah. to acknowledge Dune. Good job. I hope you get a sequel. I hope to see you sometime this week. And you are surpassing my expectations. Just a matter of the longevity. Will it continue to do that? Also, yeah. Halloween Kills had a pretty solid second weekend with, I think, 14 yeah. million going, ha, streaming's not killing this movie. Good. The reviews yeah, might I be think, killing this movie.
1: Yeah. Uh, but, like, I think that was, like, pretty reassuring to you and I, because, like, I know we were pretty worried about both Halloween Kills and um, Dune having those tandem releases. But it's good to see that they're still making a pretty good good amount of money. I, on the other hand, have been watching a lot this past, <laughs> this past week. Um... So I think we talked about uh last week I had watched Sorcerer's Stone, um because of the book. Uh so we I'm now my dad joined me on this adventure and I'm now <laughs> uh we have the, the two the part one and two of Deathly Hollows left. Um, oh
0: wow, so, you're flying through these. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh so I So are you going through the probably... audio books at the same time or? uh unfortunately not just because they're like 30 bucks each, yeah
0: which is like they're expensive
1: tough um but i will like i'm definitely going to um go through the audiobooks because there's definitely i've been uh, i've proven myself wrong that there's a lot more in the book like a lot more in the books than in some of movies and uh i hate that i have to say that now um but yeah um, we're all uh, just acknowledging upon...
0: faults this week
1: yeah, upon rewatch, um and I think you'll be surprised to hear this, I don't think Goblet of Fire is my favorite anymore.
0: Really? Yeah, I Is it Prisoner of Azkaban? I,
1: no, I find myself really really enjoying the Half-Blood Prince. Okay. There's some, there's something about like I and I think part of it is cuz it is the funniest, of which them. is
0: odd. Like, yeah, I like Half-Blood Prince too. And I feel like people don't talk about it as much. Maybe one because it's PG, which for some reason has always been weird to me. But Half-Blood Prince has always felt odd to me of, all right, we've got Goblet of Fire where things start to get dark. Order of the Phoenix, which is really dark. And then Half-Blood Prince, where we should be ramping up the tension, is definitely the funniest. Like Half-Blood Prince is the one scene to me where the movie actually is better than the book when Harry takes the Felix Felicis and he's like, he's got the pincers.
1: Like, oh, dude. that's just Daniel Radcliffe oh. in that
0: scene. That's not even Harry. Yeah, uh,
1: absolutely.
0: But, like, and when uh, oh, – what's-his-face throws up on Snape's shoes, I'm like, where is this yes. random humor oh. coming from?
1: Oh, it's so good. I do think, however, unfortunately, despite some of the really, really good stuff Ron gets to do and, like, it proves that Ron can be, like, awesome in this movie, like, with the Quidditch stuff and, like, finally – like, starting to admit things about Hermione, um, he gets kind of shafted at, towards the the back third of the movie because, like, the the whole, like, conversation... And I, I thought about this, too. The whole conversation between Harry and Hermione at the end of the movie, at the top of the tower, um, Harry's just kind of like... Not Harry. Ron is kind of sitting on the steps behind them, not really a part of the conversation, it's like, just going, yeah... Mhm. Cool. 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 Like, cool. 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 I was like, okay, cool. So this isn't about the trio because, because then you transition to the last shot of the movie, which is all three of them standing in the window watching the bird, and I was like, what? Okay, whatever. So I'm, um, but I'm excited to go into Deathly Hallows. Um, I think. Oh, oh, and I told you this morning because last night I finally finished playing Jedi Fallen Order.
0: How many um, times did it take you to beat uh, the sister in that final fight?
1: I only think it took me twice. Really? I, I, I think it only took me twice. Um, Mainly because uh, one of us <clears throat> uses our force powers uh, on a consistent basis.
0: Uh, yeah, I didn't I, do that my yeah. first playthrough. I got very aggressive when I was just like, all right, I can get three <laughs> hits. The game tells me I can get three hits. I'm going to go for four or five. That strategy yeah. and stubbornness will not get you anywhere in this game. It will force stubbornness into you.
1: Yeah, absolutely not. Like also, yeah, Also, figuring out that my force push can interrupt her, her like unblockable, and I was like, oh, dude, absolutely. So get my three block, 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 force push to, to block that. Hit her more, and I was like, yeah, okay, cool. And it, it I mean, there's a couple. She did get me like pretty good. Once she starts amping up her force powers and stuff like that, then all of a sudden I was like, oh, uh, uh I don't know how to dodge. How do I dodge? So that was fun. Uh, and then that final like ten minute sequence is. Mwah, chef's kiss, so good. Yeah, um, it's. Insanity. I don't want to spoil it too much, but it's been out
0: forever, so
1: yeah. Because uh, everyone else on YouTube also... spoiled it. Yeah, unfortunately. um Oh, the so not watching, but one of the comics that I got while I was down there, uh, Middle West. That one I showed you that was like, oh, this art is really cool. I have no idea what the story's about, but the art's really yeah. cool. I finished the first book uh, a couple days ago, and. I'm super hooked. It's like uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's like if um, if like like magic and stuff was real, but it happened. It, it like the story takes place in like a town called Farmington, which is basically like middle of Illinois. <laughs> so like just farms. It's just like an odd place to start the story and stuff. And it's just it's super cool. Like the dad, it, it's obviously a story at this point about kid versus his dad. His dad's super abusive and, like, angry. And, like, when he gets really angry, he basically turns into an unstoppable tornado, um, like, that he can, he himself can't control. And so the, then Abel, the main kid, starts to exhibit the same kind of abilities. It, it's, it's very... It's like it's a control of emotion and trauma story. It's really interesting. Hmm. Um, and then... A book series that I've read, the first three already, the fourth one, the fourth Pilgrim book, comes out next month. So I'm super excited about that. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I'm hoping to watch Dune. So hopefully by next episode. uh, But let's get into some news because I've been waiting for several days to talk about some stuff here. (laughs) Okay. So as I said last week... I knew we were getting this trailer for Uncharted because this trailer dropped on the 21st and on the 22nd. My Facebook memories showed up saying, hey, remember when you shared this first look of Nathan Drake in the Uncharted movie? I'm going, ha, they did it almost to the day. And so we get our first trailer for PlayStation Productions Uncharted, which is kind of interesting to see the first time ever that logo in front of a movie. And here at Uncharted Media, I'm sure you all wanted to know our opinion more than anything else because (laughs) because I myself have been hyping this up forever and I've been defending this movie forever. I've defended Tom Holland's casting forever. The trailer's finally here and I loved it except... Except for one crucial detail that I cannot defend. What the heck is that god-awful music that they use for this trailer?
1: <laughs> like, yeah, that was weird. They, I'll, I'll they start
0: that. with the classic Uncharted music, which if you saw my trailer reaction that's on the channel, I, I squealed like a little girl. i wanted them to use that Uncharted, the classic theme in the trailer. It was perfect. And then they just go into some random trash. I'm going...
1: Neverland.
0: like. Why undercut the fantastic score? Whether you go with the Greg Robinson or the Henry Jackman version, which they still have not said who's doing the music for this movie, and I need it to be Henry Jackman who did Uncharted 4 Thief's End and also the Jumanji movies because just makes sense. But that nitpick aside, I don't think there's anything I would change about this trailer. I know some people still aren't convinced about Tom Holland, but... From everything I saw online, there was definitely some opinions changed on this that they're like, that's good. Oh, he's not just Spider Man because the way he presents himself and the way he talks is not Peter Parker. I was thinking specifically when he's <laughs> the great stinger at the end, when he's talking to the Scottish guy and he's just like, yes. You're, you shouldn't have come here, like a bad Scottish accent, me, not the actual actor, and he's just. What? What? Like, the way he (laughs) says it isn't Peter Parker. It's more like a grown man. Now, some people are still worried about Mark Wahlberg as Sully, and I completely get that. However, I 100% buy the relationship between this Nate and this Mm -hmm. Sully. This is not video game Nate and video game Sully. Clearly, they're changing up the origin. And to me, that's okay. We know in Uncharted 3 that Sully meets Nate when he's a very young kid. And so I'm fine with them changing the origin. I think sometimes in video game movies, they get so bogged down in, we have to shoehorn in the mythology and the lore this specific way. This is a movie inspired by the source material, not so much directly ripping from it. I think that's a smart choice. And I think people were distracted by the Tom Holland casting and Mark Wahlberg casting. I know a lot of directors have left this project over time, like Dan Trachtenberg or Sean Levy. I'm actually okay with um, Ruben Fleischer, who did uh, the first Venom movie, but more importantly to me, at least, he did the first two Zombie Lands, which I love both Zombie Lands. And there's that fun energy to Zombie Land that I see in Uncharted here. We'll talk more about it after we get some of Josh's thoughts. So, Josh, as more of the casual Uncharted person who's not living and dying by this movie, what did you think?
1: Yeah, no, it looks like a fun adventure film, you know? Like, I, and that's what I think I needed from this was more, like, I mean, because I played through the first game and into uh, about halfway into the second. So it's, I, I kind of had a general idea of what kind to expect. Um, I was less nervous about Tom because I think he's great, um, but more nervous about Mark Wahlberg because Mark as much as i love him is basically the same person in everything and t- he is still mark in this film but like there is definitely something that's just a tad different about it and i think part of that's just based on the chemistry between him and tom so i mean that that worked they worked for me um, it feels like a I, like a good adventure film the music might not have bothered me as much if it was I don't know, just the actual, just regular version of Revelin. Like, there's no the, the, like doing that weird like remix of it was. It it, it threw me off. Um, but yeah, no, it's cool. It's a cool thing. Um, I like the scene of. I think the scenes that like got me super excited. Uh, the simple one where he comes out of the water and sees the two ships. I was like, I'm sure there's that, quite
0: a few people that like that scene.
1: <laughs> that's Uncharted right there. Uncharted um,
0: Four specifically, like they're yeah, definitely was, ripping straight out of the, some of the games. Yeah,
1: I was like, oh, okay, and then uh, the him f- flying on the back of out, out the back of the train. Uh, not train, uh, plane, and like having to climb. And I was like, that is the most Uncharted thing, like level it's, design, I can think of.
0: It's literally from Uncharted Three.
1: Oh, okay, cool. Even better. <laughs> like
0: spot on. It's the most famous thing from Uncharted Three. Except instead of being over the ocean, it's over the Sahara Desert. Um, Last thing about the Mark Wahlberg thing, and I'll kind of go into the beats, the main beats that I took away from this trailer, is I'm still on the fence about Mark Wahlberg as Sully. However, I heard a really good argument from Nolan North, of all people, who voices Nathan Drake in the video game. He's just like, Mark Wahlberg's a great choice for this reason. Mark Wahlberg is originally from Boston. So is the voice actor that voices Sully. So, he okay. so he gets that background. So, Nolan North has actually been a ringing endorser of this movie for a while. He's loved Tom Holland. Hmm. He's defended Mark Wahlberg. He's actually visited the set, and he's like, y'all are sleeping on this movie. I think this is going to be great. So, I'm looking forward to him. Hmm. Uh, before the shutdown, he was actually posting some updates that he was allowed to share on Sony's behalf. So, I wouldn't be surprised that that ramps up. Um, all right. So, delving into the trailer itself. Uh, We get the good music with him and Chloe, which I love that as soon as the actress pops up, I'm like, oh, I absolutely recognize that that's Chloe uh, from Uncharted 2, uh, who I like as a character. I like Elena more, but I really have my fingers crossed that we do not see Elena yet because that's that's a – when we meet her in Uncharted 1, that's the first time that they've met before, uh, and she's one of my favorite characters besides Nathan – Uh, I just like the tomb raiding aspect of the intro of the trailer. And then we get the – when the trailer really starts to kick in, you see Tom Holland as a bartender and Sully as a – basically, he's too old for prom outfit, which I love that. I love it. That line was so good. But my thinking is both of them are there for the same reason, and that's to steal something. Their undercover things are just different. So they're both going to be there to steal something they haven't met yet. But Tom's going to be trying to steal something later while disguised as a bartender. Where Sully's going to be there disguised as a high-class person. So then when we see that loft later, and Sully says something about, like, why the map? I think they're both trying to steal something. And they realize, yeah. oh, let's work together to steal something instead of separately. Like, maybe Sully sees something in Nathan. The biggest surprise to me with this trailer was the reference to Sam. Nate's brother, I'm going, oh, we're immediately going there, are we? Because in the games, Sam is completely unmentioned until the fourth one. Like, not even a reference passing of, oh, hey, I had a brother at one point. Uh, But no. So I think it's interesting that they're already teasing bringing in Sam this early now. I won't say too much for Josh because I think – you should play on Charter 4 at some point, especially with the remaster coming out to PC and um, PS5 soon. There's a reason why Nate thinks he was dead for so many years and has gone. So I'm wondering like, where that would fit timeline-wise. Like, I know I said this is inspired by the games, but you could still technically follow the game's timeline. And the events that caused them to go their separate ways was still relatively... Young in their careers, and Sully in the games has passing references to Sam. So, I'd be very curious if Sam shows up in this at all. I almost would prefer if he's not and save him for a sequel because we haven't heard any casting news that he would be in this. Um, but speaking of casting, I am very happy that I was right. Antonio Banderas is the bad guy because I remember we talked about his casting. I'm like, oh, he's got to be the main villain. And he he looks like he's a great villain. Uh, One last thought about the Sam thing, though, before I move on to the Antonio Banderas. So did the movie, the people making this on Charter movie, just finish watching Dora the Explorer because we have a adventure movie where we had to find lost um, family members by finding a treasure? Like That sounds suspiciously like the Dora movie, because I, I think <laughs> it's interesting that they're not trying to find the treasure. They're trying to find the treasure because Sully says, if we find the treasure will find Sam going, that's an interesting wrinkle to things. Uh, now, getting to Antonio Maderas, I bet you anything he's either a descendant of Ferdinand Magellan or his ancestors were one of the shipmates of Magellan, and that's why he mm-hmm. thinks he has a claim to the treasure. Yeah. Um I think it's cool that they're bringing in the historical side. You you have to do that with Uncharted because it's always something historic related. The first one was Sir Francis Drake and El Dorado. Uh, the second one was Shangri La. The third was the Desert of the Sands, and the fourth being uh, Henry Avery's treasure. So you got to bring in the historical aspect of this. It's just a fun. Trailer. I said when this trailer came out, I don't need this to be a perfect movie. I just need it to be a fun movie. Yeah. And this looks like a lot of fun. Oh, I, yeah. I like the dynamic between Nate and Sully that we get from this trailer of they threaten to kill me. Don't put your finger to your ear. You look like an idiot. Like that's that <laughs> line gets me every time that I watch it. And then when they're on the plane, I'm going, oh, we had heard rumors that they would do this the plane team a Charter Three have been going, They're they're not actually gonna do Oh my god, he's hanging out they, from the side they, of a plane. Yeah. Press A press no press press X, press X, press X Quick time It's a quick time event.
1: <laughs> now Yeah. Now we just need a third the, of this movie. The crap. Yes, the crap moment the crap got is me spot I was on. like
0: yeah Now when he gets smacked now the crap needs to be a little higher like the voice register always goes a little crap like he always gets a little higher <laughs> on the crap but now we just need a third of this movie to be spent in climbing sections and yes. then it'll be spot <laughs> on
1: just like te- like five minute sequences of Tom Holland clock gl- climbing and Sully yelling for him to hurry up
0: <laughs> and Sully will already start saying that he's too old for this absolutely or Nate will just headshot somebody five times and they're completely unfazed where Sully will shoot somebody once in the chest and they'll die yeah Because bad hit mechanics. Uh, <laughs> the flying out of the plane awesome getting hit by the car and the crap that was my favorite. But the best shot of the whole trailer for me that I'm just going, oh, you did it, is it's just a quick shot of when he puts on the gun sleeves for the first time and he does like, a quick wrap around the um, the flagpole and the pirate ship and you're just going, oh, that, that's uncharted. Um, also, I don't mind the costume design. I like and prefer when Nathan Drake has the, like, the classic, like the Henley with the... The gun straps and the, the necklace. However, he absolutely does not need to have that. I know that's his iconic look. But he doesn't have that until the second game. Yeah. And that's a much darker outfit. The first one, he's still wearing a baseball tee. The flashback scene is the third one. He's still wearing a baseball tee. So I'll be curious when he gets that look. I wouldn't be surprised if it's in the second half. Um, mustache. Sully's mustache. I know people are complaining, where is it? It will be there. It probably will just be at the end of the movie. Because Mark Wahlberg, when they were filming this, he did do that Instagram video of just like, don't ask, don't f- ask. And he's got like this big old <laughs> thick mustache on that made him yeah. kind of look like Freddie Mercury. Um, yeah. <laughs> and also some other pictures. So I wouldn't be surprised if at the end, uh, it's Sully with his Hawaiian shirt and the mustache. And he tells Nathan something about like, Hey. There's this nosy reporter asking about you, but she says she might have a map to El Dorado, and that's where we end the first yeah. movie. I would not be surprised in the slightest. As a diehard Uncharted fan, this is what I wanted. Again, I don't need this to be a perfect movie. I just need it to be fun. And this felt like a really fun movie.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like, it, it, I got, like... <sighs> Like Sahara vibes, like yes! National Treasure vibes, like like just like a culmination of a of treasure adventure movies. That was like, yeah, I'm, a, I'm on board. Like this movie doesn't have to be perfect. Like National Treasure is not perfect. Sahara you shut your is mouth. Perfect, <laughs> it's not perfect.
0: National Treasure, Majesty.
1: But they are still some of the most fun movies to watch, and that's at the end of the day, that's all you need. Like if you're having a movie, uh, having a lot of fun with a with a with a movie. You don't care about certain plot details and stuff like that. Like, I'm just, I'm here for it, man. Like, let's go.
0: Yeah, like, a movie that I always go to that I kind of get similar vibes with this of, not a perfect movie, but it's one of my most rewatched movies, is Brendan Fraser's The Mummy. Like, not a perfect movie, but a swashbuckling adventure movie? That's Mm -hmm. what I want from Uncharted, and that's really what I got from this. Also, yeah. Somebody is suggesting him going. Dang it, yeah, I can't unsee that. We've talked about before, back in the day. Brendan Fraser would have been a really good Nathan Drake. You know who yep. also would have been a good Nathan Drake? Zachary so, Levi.
1: Damn it, yeah. you uh, would gonna be crazy if Brendan Fraser shows up in one of these.
0: So funny you say that. Funny you say that. <laughs> I literally said to Heather when this trailer dropped, in one of the sequels, I need Brendan Fraser to be the villain. Yeah, because good subversion of just bringing the whole adventure genre full circle. I think Brendan Fraser could have a heck of a time as a really good villain. Um, yeah, he can't Honestly, be any, he can't be any of the video game villains. He can't be like Lazarevich. Yeah,
1: but. nah, they they've got to like it would be interesting to bring back some of like the some care not like the characters but like the actors from like big time like bring back a Nicolas Cage in, a, in an Uncharted movie.
0: Rachel be, Weiss.
1: Oh, dude, there's just like there's so much you could do, I think, and just like bring back Brendan bring Brendan Frazier by sometime. Bring uh Matthew McConaughey. Maybe, you know it, Nicholas K. Just to name off, a few off the top of my head. But like, yeah, like Angelina Jolie showing up at some point would be cool too. Like I just Tomb Raider,
0: yeah. Tomb Raider <gasps> A Tomb Raider, Nathan Drake crossover.
1: Oh. Don't tempt me with a good time. Don't tempt me with a good time.
0: Now, speaking of a good time, this is a good time for some people. I'm not one of them, though. (laughs) I'll be honest. I don't know how to feel about this. And that is that Hayden Christensen will be returning as Anakin Skywalker for the Ahsoka Tano Disney Plus series starring Rosario Dawson. I am very conflicted on this one because I am very public in my dislike of I'll put it that way of Hayden Christensen as Anakin Skywalker and as an actor in general like I don't think he could have made the script work either way just because of some of the dialogue he's forced to say but I've seen him in other things and I don't like him in other things so I take this news as just kind of eh but at the same time this theoretically can fix his Anakin Because this series is set to be after Return of the Jedi. So if he's in this, scenes are clearly going to be a flashback. And if this gives him some actual characterization, I think the Ahsoka character did more to fix Anakin than anything else in the prequels. Like it humanized him in... It really, really worked. Where well, Ahsoka is never going to be my favorite Star Wars character. I think her role was important in getting us to understand that side of Anakin more and Clone Wars, I think, did a better job of showing the fall to the dark side than just Well, he got mad for 30 minutes and then decided to kill everyone. Um yeah. so if this shows us some flashback scenes to him with Ahsoka, more personal stuff. Also, I trust the people so far making the Star Wars Disney Plus stuff. Like, Mandalorian far surpassed all of our expectations. Uh, I don't know what to expect with Kenobi, but I'm more excited for Kenobi than I have been for any of the Mandalorian stuff, just because it's Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, I don't know who's doing the Ahsoka series, but they've given me no reason to doubt it yet, so... I don't know. I'm still just kind of yeah, eh about this cuz it still feels kind of gimmicky to me, especially considering I'll have to come back and reevaluate this after we've seen the Kenobi series because he will be on that as well. Now, if he blows me away on Kenobi, between his appearance on the Kenobi series and Ahsoka, it could fix his stuff in the prequels in which case wouldn't be the first time Lucasfilm has gone back and tried to fix stuff that they themselves have broken. <laughs> Mandalorian yeah. just slightly feels like an apology to Star Wars fans. So maybe this is an apology to Hayden Christensen?
1: I, I think it, it could be. And I think in some ways having him in Ahsoka makes just like almost more sense. Not to say that like... Oh,
0: absolutely. Cause yeah.
1: Because with, without, uh, without Clone Wars, No sorry i'm trying to because it still makes sense with obi-wan but i think with anakin being in this ahsoka series it i think it kind of makes i i understand why he's there now like yes it's flashbacks but like you said like at least now that we can we can have some actual brother moments being shown between obi-wan and anakin um you know actually show how good of friends they were uh like in live action, not just because as much as I love Clone Wars and Rebels and and all of our animated shows, I I hate having to be put in a situation where people are like, well, th- this this thing about Anakin doesn't make sense. This thing about this thing about Star Wars. But yeah, but oh, but they explain it in like Rebels or like in Clone Wars and blah blah blah. And like yeah, but I don't want to watch the animated shows. I was like. Fair enough. Ah, yep, crap. we still have uh, uh, some
0: of our friends that refuse to watch Rebels because they hate the animation style and think it's for kids.
1: Yeah, which is crazy because in the second season they start killing Rebels on screen. Um, But yes, uh, it makes more sense to me to have him in Ahsoka. Uh, I'm a little bit more forgiving of, of Hayden. I like him in Jumper, and I don't mind him in... Um, oh, jeez. Glass. Some, what is it? Glass. Glass. Is that the one where he's a part of like a bunch of like a group of like thieves or something like that?
0: No. Glass is where he's a news reporter that missed that purposely lied to get headlines.
1: Oh, so so, so Nightcrawler. Um <laughs> Nightcrawler um, before
0: Nightcrawler, basically. Yeah,
1: but uh no, there's like another movie he's in with like Chris Brown and some other people that's like he's actually pretty good Snatchers? in. Snatchers? snatchers i think is what it is yeah i think it's not
0: snatched because that's something different no
1: that's that's a movie with my my uh my other boy jason statham um but uh yeah i'm i think i'm a little bit more forgiving um because i mean at the end of the day uh (laughs) anakin in the movies is just a whiny teenager and i think he plays him as a whiny teenager and then does his best to deliver uh, that dialogue um so yeah, if anything, this will be. I, I'm hoping that this is a say a savior moment for Hayden, because um, I mean he's an attractive dude. He's a kind of he's a pretty cool cool guy. I can see him being in some other things. He just has gotta you gotta erase that kind of stain that was the prequels on his on his uh his resume.
0: Yeah, and I feel like a lot of the current focus on Disney Plus is. All right, we're gonna go back and kind of tweak the perception of the prequels like for mm-hmm. a certain generation the meme generation they think the prequels are better than the originals just because they can meme the crap out of it like oh my gosh revenge of the sith has been turned into a meme but like i don't even think it's not uh, ironic love i i think it's generally a generation that grew up with it and loves and appreciates it like i still mm-hmm. can watch the prequels i don't hate them like the generation that grew up watching the original trilogy I, I just think it's always funny with Star Wars there's always, after every single movie, except for A New Hope there's always this backlash of oh man, Star Wars is ruined now, even Empire yeah. Strikes Back um, Yeah. and it's always the exact same thing with Star Wars you've got the previous generation that hates whatever's new but then a new generation comes along and defends that thing, that's why whenever people are just like, god the sequel trilogy was bad I'm like you think that, but just wait five to ten years, and I bet you anything, we're going to have a generation that Adam Driver's Kylo Ren is their favorite Star Wars character, or Rey is their favorite Star Wars character, just like how a lot of people hated the prequels. But you could not convince young Nathan that Obi Wan Kenobi and the Darth Maul fight wasn't the greatest moment in movie history, or that the yeah. arena battle and Attack of the Clones wasn't the coolest thing in the world. it still is. It still is. It's cool. It's the closest we've ever seen an army of Jedi. And it's just amazing. But Star Wars is allowed to be for everyone. And while I'm not a fan of him as an actor. Aiden Christensen as a person. Has always seemed like a really really cool deal. That's kind of got the raw end of the deal. um, Fandom wise. And so I think he's slowly kind of like testing the waters of. Do I want to get back into this? And. I think it's really, really cool that fans have been so receptive to him lately. Like, what was it? Star Wars Celebration a few years ago he was at and got a huge ovation, got a big warm welcome, which I think is awesome. Um, so hopefully this thing can kind of change my perception of him. I want to like him. I really do. And I think this could be between this and Kenobi. I think that could be a real possibility. Yep. Um I'll be curious if there's other things with the prequels that Disney kind of goes back. Because Disney, since they've acquired Lucasfilm, hasn't really acknowledged the prequel era a ton. (laughs) They do Clone Wars stuff, but that's about it. They're just like, well, we can milk more money out of the original trilogy. Whereas Filoni and Favreau, I think, are just such fans of all the source material. So they just kind of want to expand the universe in every direction, which I think is really, really cool. And kind of... Since they're fans, they want to go back and do things for the fans that we might not have been able to get the first time around, like a good Anakin-Obi-Wan relationship, uh, more stuff and better performances out of Anakin, better writing for Anakin. So I I think the current leadership that will soon be in place, I think, has an idea of what fans want or how they can change fans' perception for the better, which I think is a really good thing.
1: Yeah, and like, and how they can use this opportunity to tell better Star Wars stories, and just, I I do like how they're kind of going back to this, the the prequels and not like, not retconning anything, but like adding mm-hmm. little details that to make it better, which is so much better than. Your sequel trilogy, where you your second movie writes you into a corner, and then you got to figure out how to tell a story in in your final chapter. But anyway, um, yeah. And that being said, I will say I I grew up with the the prequels, and Kylo Ren is like one of my top ten favorite characters. Oh yeah. So,
0: well, it looks like we've got some interesting late breaking news here uh, that we were not expecting for this, but in the words of the Star Wars meme. A surprise to be sure, but a welcome one, as we have more casting for the upcoming HBO Max Batgirl movie, as everyone's favorite dude, Brandon Fraser, has been cast supposedly as the main villain. Now, they haven't stated outright that he'll be playing Firefly, but sources very close to the project are saying that it's Firefly, so for the time being, we're going to go under the assumption that it's Firefly. We've heard for a little bit that Firefly was going to be the main villain, but the fact that it's now Brendan Fraser will be playing him it just makes my heart happy. Because Brendan, Brendan is such a good guy. Uh, yeah. I think it's funny that we literally just talked about this with the Uncharted thing of, maybe someday we can get, uh, in one of the Uncharted sequels, we can get Brendan Fraser to be one of the bad guys. Well, we're half right about something. He's gonna be a bad guy, alright? But for Batgirl this is an interesting development uh I'm glad to see that we're getting a Brendan um renaissance so to speak he's getting picked up by more people uh he's gotten a Morton Scorsese movie coming out soon uh, it's just good to see him bounce back after all the terrible things that have happened to him and I feel like a big step in his career resurgence was Doom Patrol like,
1: oh, absolutely.
0: Uh, Josh, you're the Doom Patrol expert here. W- would you say that that's kind of where yeah. things started for him?
1: I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't call me an expert on it because I've just only seen <laughs> like 80% of season one. <laughs> but More an uh, expert than me. That's fair. Um, and it's odd because like he's mostly just like a, a voice for 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 the robot but like at the same time the at the beginning of the se- season he has a lot of like him acting as him um it's dude i it, this is the first thing uh, Doom Patrols are one of the first things i remember seeing him in in like recent years and now he is starting to have i'm kind of really hoping that 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 this is the start of uh the uh how do how do i say this the the, the renaissance? The, the, the renaissance. The phrasing,
0: <laughs> the phrasing. Well, one of the two. But
1: like how – like Keanu Reeves has recently just like exploded. I really hope that – Or Brendan Matthew McConaughey is... before. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have – but this be an opportunity for Brendan because he's a great dude. And honestly, he's a great actor too. So like it's just – he deserves to, to get back in the spotlight. I think what's interesting it, besides the fact that we literally just said he should be a villain in Uncharted – um, Firefly is not one that I thought I would have picked him for. No, but Harvey Bullock, like, maybe. Maybe, but at the same time, like now, absolutely. Looking I at him, so though,
0: he. now that I've said Harvey Bullock, I'm mad that he's not Harvey Bullock. Like, I know Josh <laughs> does not like the character, but he yeah. looks like Harvey Bullock. But I, I like that he's the villain because oh, I love it. so much of us like just him as a person, whether it's the mummy, um, or George of the Jungle. Like, he's often so much portrayed as the good guy. I I've I'm liking this change of pace of having him be the bad guy here. I so far, I'm really liking the cast for this background movie. And now I know a lot of people are mad that it's gonna be an HBO Max exclusive, but HBO Max needs the content. And yeah. I'd imagine with it being a stream movie so compared to a theatrical movie there's less risk of failure, so they can be truly creative with it. There's no like, yeah, um, test of like, well, it didn't do well with this core demographic, so we don't know if it's going to do exceeding well. Like they, they can do what they want with it, and that kind of makes me more excited. I don't know how I feel about just Firefly being the villain. Maybe throw in some other ones because Firefly isn't a a huge villain, but. This is super cool. I'm hoping like this is, this leads to bigger things for him, just because we're long overdue for more Brendan Fraser in our lives, and he's he's just the best.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely see this this kind of this version of Firefly if Brendan really is playing him into being more of a uh, a felt a, a vulture type character
0: rather mm. than just
1: like the typical kind of like B level uh arsonist uh, quippy arsonist that we've we've gotten in the past couple of renditions so like seeing like brendan fraser do like a michael keaton version of firefly would be oh dude it's not something i thought i needed but now like i absolutely need that are you kidding me
0: i just need more brendan fraser in my life and this is this is perfect just i'm happy for the guy this This just seems like a step in the right direction for him, and it makes me really, really excited. Maybe it's HBO Max going, oh, wow, you've done really well for us on Doom Patrol. We trust you with this. Let's give you something bigger and meatier to work on, because typically studios will be like, okay, we like you in this thing for us. We'll put you in something else that we are doing as well.
1: Does this confirm, though, that Doom Patrol is in its own little world?
0: yes multiverse I
1: think so too yeah I think so too that's kind of unfortunate I guess then that that would mean that that this cyborg can't show up well that doesn't technically I guess Uh, but it would kind of mean that this cyborg from Doom Patrol can't show up on Titans
0: yeah I, I thought they acknowledged that that was a separate universe for a really long time which doesn't really explain how Beast Boy is just kind of hopped from the Doom Patrol to the Titans but they don't really acknowledge anything that happened in season one like ever or they don't really acknowledge things that happen from episode to episode on that show but let's not divulge all the things that we have issues with the titans but for brendan this is awesome um i'm hoping people take to this news well and so far from the limited stuff that i've seen people are taking pretty well to this because we just need more brendan in our lives he just seems like a really positive guy and i think this is a really really cool thing so it's a good day on the Uncharted Media Podcast. When I can have a graphic that includes something Disney and Michael Myers on the same picture. <laughs> because David Gordon Green, the director of Halloween 2018, Halloween Kills, and next year's Halloween Ends, has been... This is the weirdest statement I've said in a few months on the show. Has been tapped to direct a movie for Disney Plus about the creation of Disney. Disneyland, um, Disney, I like David Gordon Green's Halloween movies, have you seen his filmography, Disney, like, before (laughs) Halloween, he did adult comedies, please, Disney, do not tell me that you hired this guy, because he directed a movie called Your Highness, please don't tell me that's the one and only reason that you hired this guy, um, I don't mind this. I think it's odd that it's going to Disney Plus for sure and not theatrically, but cool. Um, I remember when Disney Plus first dropped, they uh, did a documentary series by the Iwerks called The Imagineering Story, which I still think is one of my favorite documentary series, which is basically like the history of Walt Disney's Imagineers, like the people that come up with the rides and the stories and everything else. So I lo- I want more theme park-related content. I've said forever, Disney Plus needs more um, behind-the-scenes Disney stuff, and Peacock needs more behind-the-scenes Universal th- stuff. I'm still – Peacock, look at me. One, change your name. It's just a stupid name. Two, put Halloween Horror Nights content on Peacock. Oh, my God. You could charge me 30 bucks a month, and I would still pay. Please. <laughs> but I think this is interesting my big question will be two questions, really. One, are you going to sugarcoat this? Two, who are you casting as Walt Disney? Because you tried this once before, and as much as I love Tom Hanks, you absolutely blew it the first time. Good God was Tom Hanks as Walt Disney terrible. Uh, yes. I, I don't know who you would cast, but as someone that's not typically the biggest Disney parks person, Josh, are you interested in a Disneyland movie?
1: No, not at all. I think this is uh, Bob Chapek scratching his own back a little bit. I like, dead, like. I'm I'm completely serious on that. I like. There's there's already some good content on Disney Plus that kind of like looks behind the scenes a little bit. Um, I. I gen- genuinely, I I just maybe it's because I don't like JPEG, and maybe it's because I know that he came from the parks. It's just odd that there was no effort to tell this story at all before Bob Chepeck decided to get you know you know what I mean. Like I, I, it just seems too coincidental, and it seems too much like oh <laughs> look at, look at me guys, your CEO is great because look look what he all he did all for the look where Disneyland, I come from blah blah blah. Yeah, exactly. Like, and that t- to me that just feels like self servicing crap. Like, I don't care about a Disneyland creation movie. Do a documentary. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to see like people do the reenactments of Walt Disney and do like oh sugarcoat things because this is a movie, not a do- not a documentary. This feels more like a documentary. What it needs to be a documentary to me. Yeah, this would be a fascinating a documentary. Absolutely. It, just, but, it doesn't make sense, it, it, it just it, for it to be a full fledged movie feels like Bob Check JPEG being like like I'm gonna scratch my my pat myself on the back here because look where it was and then look where it is now oh yeah
0: like, so yeah. I see both sides to this one it could be interesting because like it was the first like themed park but here's the here's my thing with it in terms of the creations of the park. Disneyland isn't a very interesting narrative. It's Walt sitting with his daughters at the park one day while they're on the carousel going, I wish there was a place that families could spend together. And so he builds Disneyland. It's a pretty straightforward narrative. There wasn't a whole lot of opposition. On the flip side, if you do a movie about Disney World, that's a much different story. Here's why. Disneyland already existed. It had been a proven success, and it was one of the biggest theme parks in the world at the time. Walt wants to expand, so he sends out secret helic—he sends out secret planes to various locations for scouting under completely fake names to get land bids and estimates. Because if companies found out, oh, Disney wants to buy our land, okay. Well, acreage is no longer ten dollars an acre; it's a hundred and fifty dollars an acre. So Walt's kind of yeah. like completely buying up land. ...under an alias and buying this big section of land in Florida. And then the company finds out that Disney's buying it and then they change the price and so they can't buy any more land. But then, they have already acquired all the land. They start planning Disney World for open. 1966, Walt Disney dies. So what does the Disney company do with Disney World now that literally the person at the park is named after is gone that to me is a much more interesting story than boy i want to build a park well there's the park there like disney world had much hell do euro disney in which case that fell on its face that was a colossal mistake obviously disney won't make a movie out of that but if they ever wanted to throw michael eisner under the bus again they could just do that I think the Disney World story has much more interesting implications of what do you do when your boss is gone? Do you feel like, are you like Roy and you want to see out his vision? Do you not go forward? Where's that line of what is Walt's and what is just us? And there's a five-year gap between his death and the park's opening. Open with Walt Disney dying and everyone proceeding with, where do we go from here? That's more interesting to me. And as much as I love David Gordon Green, I just think this is an odd choice from him. Like, unless, unless we're going to have, like I have in my graphic, Michael Myers discovers Disneyland. Because, you know, Haddonfield looks suspiciously like L.A.
1: Ooh, um, so bear with me here.
0: We're not getting Kingdom Keepers as much as I wish.
1: No, 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 no. Okay, so uh, I I think uh even with your as uh, adding your explanation in, into this, I think I absolutely would prefer this be a documentary and that's not just cuz I watch documentaries every every week. But if we're going to do this, <clears throat> let's lean full into uh into Devin Gordon Green's comedy. Let's that's fine. Let's do that. That's fine. Let's make this David Gordon Green's attempt at doing Into the Shadows, but with the Disney parks. Like, how? That would be hilarious. Are you kidding me? Oh, like,
0: my <laughs> God. I would kill for The Office style, except yes! with the early Imagineers. And instead of Michael Scott, it's Walt Disney, which like, is just with <laughs> insane ideas, and Bob Gurr, like, looking dead down the camera, just going, he wants a pirate ride pirates don't sell in california or have like when they're building the jungle cruise and this is a true story when they were building the jungle cruise somebody almost drowned because the track was too long so they just sunk to the bottom and so maybe you could have the two guys that are there that day be like oh yeah i just look over and ted's just completely gone i'm just going break time like
1: yeah. that <laughs> like, movie sounds like, better like, to me than anything else. Exactly. Like, why not? Like, that, to me, that sounds like that would be an excuse for me to be okay with it being like, yeah, okay, yeah, let, let's let's do this. But like, I I don't th- I think the style of of the office style comedy or like the the into the shadows or what what we do in the shadows. What we do in the shadows? The like, style yes. comedy is as uh, would would adhere better to this, but. Uh, I don't think Disney will ever do it.
0: <sighs> so, lastly for news this week, we've got one that's interesting. And I feel like Tom Holland is just like, please, can I just say something? Just drop the second trailer so I could talk about stuff. Please! Because he's, yeah. he's getting dangerously close to talking about some stuff. But one instance in particular, I'm going, oh, as my ears perk up, is this meaning what we think it's going to mean? So Tom Holland recently in an interview with Empire, who is dropping their Spider-Man No Way Home issue later this week, so I'm sure next week we'll have Spider-Man stuff to talk about. I would not be surprised in the slightest. Uh, he said that one of the coolest scenes he's ever gotten to film is in Spider-Man No Way Home. And while he didn't say the context of the scene or who's in it, he did say it involves himself, Aunt May, Happy Hogan, and a mystery character that i can't reveal at the present moment and they're talking about what it means to be a hero to which my brain immediately goes oh so it's Tobey mcguire giving you the with great yeah. power comes great responsibility speech like you basically are saying that's what it is right without yeah stating that that's that's what it is is that it josh or do we think it's something else
1: I think that's what I I, like. I'm so disappointed. Like, I think that's exactly what it is. And I don't want it. I want Happy Hogan to give him the speech. Well, Happy's there. But he's not going to be the one. I just like. (sighs) Someone shut Tom up. Shut him up. (laughs) Stop it. Like, don't – like, stop. We know his his tendencies. Why do we keep doing this? I don't – I don't – as much as I want to know more about this movie, I don't want to know any more about this movie. I think he's prepping (laughs) us
0: for a trailer this week.
1: (sighs) Yeah, that's fine.
0: I think – I bet you anything (laughs) – I bet you anything the trailer will drop Wednesday, and then the Empire article and magazine will come out. Because the Empire article is coming out Thursday. So, I wouldn't be surprised if all the pictures with Andrew and Toby and everything else are in Thursday's issue. Because cross-promotion. But, yeah. Until the movie comes out, Josh and I will stand firm on our hill that we will die together on. That Happy Hogan is the MCU's Ben Parker surrogate character, basically. And Happy is the one. But... To be fair, a lot of people have been saying forever, ever since it was rumored that this might be a multiverse movie, that Tobey Maguire will be the one to tell uh, Tom Holland Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility, which that which makes is, sense. I'm, a, I'm
1: not against it, yeah. Yeah,
0: I'm not against it, which if previous remarks by the director John Watts are anything to go by, he said that this Spider-Man movie, they're approaching like Spider-Man Endgame. Well, in Endgame, they finally pulled the trigger on Avengers Assemble, So is with great power comes great responsibility. Spider-Man's Avengers Assemble? Have they purposely been keeping it in the chamber? (laughs) In the words of Harry Potter, you've been keeping it alive for the proper moment. (laughs) Like, have they been waiting for with great power comes great responsibility for the proper moment? I am starting to think that doesn't excuse the fact that they've completely ignored Uncle Ben thus far. But if they're keeping that in reserve for the right moment and the right emotional resonance. Okay. I um, I get that. Then that can fix a lot of some of the issues that we've had.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, I, uh, the article I I read didn't tell, didn't say that uh, it was happy and Aunt May around the table. It just said it, it it said that uh, it was, and I, I, this is a story to tell you a story. Um, it said that it was just four characters around a table talking about what it means to be a a superhero and so my brain went oh okay so post happy dying uh, you got Tom and Toby and Andrew
0: and Nicolas Cage's Spider-Man Noir
1: and Miles Morales
0: Spider-Ham
1: spider Ham, nah, but like, and Miles. Spider-Gwen. Ooh. And have Emma Stone play her and have to do and have Andrew have to deal with that on screen? Oh, I'm not, I'm not, hold on, I am not emotionally ready to deal with that. Or Tom Hardy's Venom.
0: (laughs) Or Tom Hardy's Venom.
1: But he's not a hero. Mm, He might be in this movie,
0: though. We don't know. Yeah, how but. oh how pissed how pissed do you think fans would be of like it's a crossover movie? Toby and Andrew are in it, but Tom Hardy's Venom is, and that's it. Like <laughs> Dude, bring it. <laughs> absolutely. And at the end of the movie, it's just Venom doing the Rick roll, dead to the camera, <laughs> like <laughs>
1: I mean, I still stand by the by the idea that um, the possibility – if Tom doesn't go to the Spider-Verse, I wouldn't be surprised if Andrew shows up in the Venom-Verse. Um, but yeah, that, I, I just – I think there's uh, – I, like I said, I want to know more about this movie, but I also don't want to know anything else. Just, just give like uh, – mm. Cause I just don't know how it's gonna go, and like I'm nervous. And oh yeah, I want I'm Tom's... nervous for this movie too, by a lot. <laughs> yeah, I just I want Tom's Spider-Man to get the amount of respect that it deserves, story-wise, and it just. <sighs> anyway,
0: all right. Well, as per usual, this week's episode is sponsored by T Public. If you need any Uncharted Media merch, T Public is the place to go. We've got the T Public logo on hoodies. Sweatshirts, shirts, notebooks, magnets, I think, stickers. And we also have the tinfoil hat, and Josh has some stuff in the works. So if you need any mm-hmm. T Public related stuff, uh, Uncharted Media stuff, get it at T Public. Now, I am a big Universal Monsters fan for two reasons. One, I love horror. And two, I love history. And so I've always viewed the Universal Monsters as the fascinating origin of for the history of horror as a genre. Sure, you had some other stuff at the beginning of, like, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari or Nosferatu or even, to a certain extent, Metropolis. But, it's so, to me, it's so fascinating of you can clearly see Universal Monsters are the tent poles and the foundations of a genre. Like, no other genre can you really look at except for maybe animation. You look at Snow White as this is the start. Like, you can't think of... What movies were the start of action movies? You can go to like Arnold Schwarzenegger's justice Stallone, but they've been pre-existing that by a long period. But I've always thought it fascinating that Universal Monsters are history. They're they're literally yeah. legends. But they've always had a hard time post their original heyday in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. They've been rebooted countless times, sometimes with success, like um, Bram Stoker's Dracula, minus our lord and savior keanu reeves um also they've had some bad iterations like dracula untold i frankenstein 2017's the mummy but i think the core concept is still there and in this world of cinematic universes they've tried and tried again to make the universal monsters work and i don't fault any company for doing so because decades and decades before marvel made it cool the universal monsters universe was just that it's own movie universe. Now, they weren't always just directly connected, but they crossed over plenty of times. You had um, Frankenstein meets... Uh, Abbott and Costello meets the Frankenstein. Uh, Frankenstein meets The Wolfman. You've had plenty of these crossovers before. So we want to kind of try our hand at... If we were in charge of things over at Universal, how would we proceed? And how would... If we they were insistent on making a Universal Monsters cinematic universe... How would that look? So, I believe I have nine movies, and Josh, you have six. Yeah. Okay.
1: I I just had one that popped in my head, but it was more of a joke than anything else, so. That's fine. I might add that.
0: So, yeah. Josh, if you want to go first and just kind of batch it, because I don't know about you, but mine's definitely one long story that I've split into nine chapters.
1: Yeah. I have one, like trilogy but like everything else is just pretty much on its own it's one of those like I'm fine with them existing in, in their own universe but I personally uh, some of the stories I want to tell ha- don't need to have anybody else in them except for those characters um, I I'm gonna lead off with my joke one I just had a, I had just kind of thought about it. just because it was Abbott and Costello do something in that vein. Of doing like Betty White hanging out with a universal monster and like becoming best friends with oh, them.
0: That's not where I thought you were going, but okay, that
1: works. Oh, yeah. Because oh, like the other thought was like, all right, let's have like a comedian hang out with like a, like a vampire or something. Kevin Hart? Nah, I don't like it. Betty White. <laughs> or Kyle Kinane. Or uh, 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 Jim Gaffigan. <laughs> <laughs> I can oh, do you, you one got? better,
0: Josh. Oh yeah! I'm about to make. I'm about to put some words together that would just make Josh happy, and I'm gonna be mad at myself that this doesn't exist already. Tucker and Dale meet Frankenstein.
1: Stop! No, God! Yes. Okay. Got it. <laughs> Just have, or like have a whole, no, let, let's do like a nine movie series where Tucker and Dale just meet all the monsters? Like, yeah, I exactly. Love, like, exactly. It's not even like done in like a vein of like a Van Helsing, they're just meeting and hanging out with them and like going on like, they go, like, to like, like Tucker and Dale meet Frankenstein and go to the grocery store. Like, that's like all it is. <laughs> like, they meet
0: Dracula and be like, you look like you don't get out much. Oh, I must stay in the darkness to survive. Yeah, Tucker's kind of got the same thing. He don't like people. <laughs> <laughs> or like they meet Frankenstein and be like, yes. "What do you eat?" Just stares, stands there, motionless. You like pancakes, waffles? Like I can make you whatever you want. Um, you look, you look like a waffle person. I'm gonna make you some waffles. <laughs> just, <laughs> you, you look like you got that, hit by a car. That, you you all right, I man?
1: This. You're like he his head's so all bad. warped
0: and everything else. And Tucker and Dale just like, "Oh man, he looks like he's been in an accident. We need to take him to the emergency room, but he' gonna be all right." <laughs>
1: Oh, like, uh, do if you could even go as far to like make it make the titles like in the vein of ha- Harold and Kumar go to White Castle, like Tucker, Dale, and Nosferatu go to the beach or something like that. Like
0: <laughs> Tucker and Dale go to dra- to ha- Castle Dracula,
1: Castle <laughs> <I guess> Frankenstein. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> That'd be fun. Yeah, and I think like, Dang, it, it, why doesn't this exist? <laughs> I think what's crazy is. Um, Uh, that's probably as funny as as i'm gonna get like with with these lists everything and i think maybe that says speaks to something like maybe that maybe these stories because they are classics and they are kind of part of film history uh they are kind of almost taken too seriously in Mm -hmm. a sense and and like and I, i don't know about you but i struggled with this i mean i'm not that big of a universal monsters fan i haven't seen a whole lot of them um like 95 percent of them i have not seen but um you should i think i think you'd like them more than you think i think so too uh but i i just it's hard for it was hard for me to like come up with some stuff that i felt hadn't been done before because i think at this point if you're rebooting these things you do want to try to do something new at least a little bit um so i think i'm gonna lead off with the movie that will probably never happen, but we want it to. Uh, with I, I, I just, I'm, I'm using this as an opportunity to say that I need Robert Eggers to, to direct Nosferatu, and I need it to happen like like two years ago. Like, please, that needs to happen. I, I have no nothing else to say. I just, <laughs> <laughs> like Robert Eggers, he's directed direct Nosferatu. After his, his, his like, such a well-told story, and like, so like, amazing atmosphere created with the, the Vivich. Like, it's just hard to not imagine him going through the Universal Monsters and putting, like, a super accurate historical t- context to all of it. Um, then let's go with uh, – let's go – I'm going go, uh, to go uh, to, uh, to a movie called The Hunchback, which is obviously The Hunchback.
0: Ooh, I don't them. have him.
1: Yeah, but I think it's time – as much as I love the Disney movie, I think it's time – that we tell the actual story of Hunchback. Um, I I do I wouldn't mind uh, keeping him like still the wholesome good guy of the story so that you know he doesn't kill himself at the end. But still, uh, I I think the story of the Hunchback of Notre Dame would lend itself to like some really really good religious commentary and just like a very tragic tragic story and you can still get the beautiful vid- visuals that the disney story does but like also still like go hard in the paint with when it comes to like watching this guy who just is the most wholesome dude but he's disfigured and just seeing the pain that he goes through but, but just despite that pain still tries to do the best he can um so i have and i i have one more that's kind of like pretty paint by numbers a little bit, but then a, then the other two are gonna be, the rest of mine are different. Uh, so let's go. I want to do a movie called uh, Hide the Doctor. H Y D E. Mm. Um, obviously ripping on, riffing on um Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh, I like the title. I feel so like, I feel like such a the guy in the room telling a joke going, eh, get it, get it, hide the doctor. Get
0: it? at least it's not like the dark universe which probably would have tried to turn hide into an acronym for something like it's, yeah, it's shields like health yonder doth exist i don't know
1: yeah yeah it, it would mm-hmm, mm-hmm. hide your darkness everywhere uh but yeah i want
0: instead that worked of, too
1: well hey you're welcome <laughs> um i kind of i want to do like a murder mystery with it as opposed to like Oh, let's watch a guy descend into madness. Like, I literally want to do a murder mystery, and uh, all from the perspective of just the Doctor. We never get flashbacks, we never get, like, dream sequences, just stuff that happens to the point where, even if you do know that the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, you're questioning who Mr. Hyde is by the end of the movie until it's revealed that even to the main character, the doctor, that Mr. Mr. Hyde has been him the whole, it just, it it, saying it out loud. makes it sound so end like Shyamalan and I'm really mad about it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Oh dude. Um, now we're going to, I'm going to dabble into some kind of some, some, some other stuff. Uh, and this, this this one is mainly because I know how much you hate the mummy. So I was like, okay, let's. If let's, you steal my
0: mummy I... idea that I've said before on the show, I'm going to kill you.
1: Oh, no, sir. Uh, I want to tell a. I, I was like, how can I do this while still using, like, potentially a real, like, mummy for a, a, a real kind of story from history, quote unquote, real, or some real discoveries, um, and change and twist it a little bit? So. The uh the the movie is going to be called Nightmare Nightmare in the Catacombs, um which is cool. Also, unfortunately, as you'll see, is a play on words. Um, but so so I watch a lot of documentaries. Uh, there is a this does sound like uh,
0: History Channel special.
1: It does. Uh, there is a a site uncovered in Egypt. Like I think it was like 2019, right before the pandemic hit and everything like that. Um, they uncovered a site. Uh, of it, which they found like there was a, a cat cult that that you know, it, that you know kind of existed there. Um, they unearthed I'd have to go back and look up the names of certain stuff, but they unearthed a tomb um, of what what they thought was like a like a very prominent priest. Um, and but there's like some weird stuff about. Like, this is the actual, the actual history. Like, some weird stuff about his tomb. Turns out that uh, he was a priest at one point, And that uh, it's actually turns out to be... Like, his whole family dies in the span of a year. And then he's the last one. And then he dies. Well, it's actually turned out to be, like, the first known cases in history of malaria. Um, and Which is, like, super cool. Anyway, anyway. But, so... Tell the story of the Nightmare of the Catacombs. We do it the mummy... Make him the bad guy, right? Mummy's the bad guy. Cool. We under- so You're gonna go paint pun numbers halfway into the movie, until until we kind of flip the script, and start to see the mummy as someone who that is it ha- does have a tragic backstory. And it's literally the the being that is like attacking people is not anybody but a cursed body. It's so it's just like actually have like a tragic story about. How because of because he dedicated his life to to the priesthood he couldn't you know, protect his family and because of that he's cursed for, for the, into eternity and I don't I, it, there's like just to try try to have some real life tie-ins instead of trying to be like <laughs> this mummy is gonna destroy the world <laughs> and Tom Tom Cruise Victor is, him is him gonna that. be there
0: and they call That's him a saying. young man in the movie
1: yeah get out of here although he does look young so I'll give him that um but yeah all i have left then is a is the trilogy but but um which you're gonna laugh because i think as soon as i say the first movie or the titles of the three you'll 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 already know where i'm going um so i got a movie trilogy the monster the bride and the revenge um that's like the title of each we'll have we'll have similar stories maybe we'll see yeah so I want to do, the first one, The Monster, is uh, obviously about Frankenstein. Obviously. Um, I Frankenstein want... or
0: Frankenstein's monster? I hate you. I hate
1: you. That's How does actually that the feel? That's actually why I'm calling it The Monster. I will literally want him to be called The Monster most, like, the entire film. And I want to focus more on him and uh, Dr. Frankenstein's act of what, like, the, the um, all the the kind of backlash of Dr. Frankenstein's bringing the monster into existence, what that would do to the monster, not like society, blah, blah, blah. and like I, I I don't I don't really have a set plot line as far as what would all happen, but I think it just needs to focus more on the monster since it is more his story, because leading into the second one, the bride. I'd like to do a Bride of Frankenstein movie where, I don't know, she's around for more than the back, like, five minutes. Show them actually falling in love. I'd be okay with that. Uh, and continuing the story of rejection from society just because they look different. But that's I'm fine with that. Whatever. Um, the last one, uh, I am going to take a little bit from the haunting of the, the, the house that we went to. Where at at the end of Bride of Frankenstein, uh, a crowd, you know, through through means, ends up killing the monster, and we open, <laughs> we open uh, the third movie, The Revenge, with her screaming that he's dead. Um, I do like I want I, I, I want to I have I have in my notes movie built like the Babadook presence in 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 uh, premise so like more mm-hmm. of a story of her of like yes it's her grief and what her grief and her trying to revive her the love of her of her life but also. I don't want it to be like (laughs) grief will make you do crazy things. (laughs) It's like, no, like she has no frame of reference of how to deal with grief and how to deal with loss. And so because of that, her go-to is only what she knows from her creator in that death and destruction and tragedy to the point where I don't think it should even end with her reviving Frank Frankenstein. I think she realizes that she can't bring back the dead twice. Mm. And has to live with either, either live with eternity of, of, of being alone, or I want to say suicide, but I'm not, I'm not really, I'm not really feeling it. I'm How
0: would sure. she die?
1: Maybe the brides of Dracula finally uh, escape their cages and kill her. Mm. So, but yeah, yeah, that's kind of like. Again, not all of them they're not connected outside of that trilogy, but like I, I, I felt like I, I wanted to do something a little different with some of the stories and maybe try to make bring it bring some of the horror and tragedy more into like the quote unquote, the modern area, era of modern era of storytelling and not necessarily like I think Universal monsters is so hard to not because of the history it's so hard to not only view it in like a period piece lens. Like it's, mm-hmm. but like at the same time, it feels cringy to try to put it in the modern era too. I don't know. But yeah, that's what I that's what I kind of came up with. I I'm very curious on would you say nine movies all inter interconnected.
0: Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I got stumped for a while of just like how do I want to make this a thing? Um, but then I it hit me to have two separate storylines happen. that eventually intersect. But, I kind of want all of them to have their own individual feel to them, like how the MCU some are spy thrillers like Winter Soldier, some are big epics like uh, Endgame, where some like, there's different styles to genres. Um, so our first one, because it was the first Universal Monster movie, I think it's only fitting that my first one should be Dracula. Um, Yeah, it's the only one to be a period piece because I just love the aesthetic of that original um, Dracula and all the classic universal monsters of that very gothic look. And just I always think gothic when I think of Dracula. So I'm just like, I'm just going to keep Dracula very, very similar to what it already is, at least for the first outing. Now, I also did do some fan castings for all these movies. So as you can see by the graphic nice rami malik needs to be dracula oh my god was this man made for it he's got the (laughs) presence but also he's got the allure of like you're a little creeped out but you just want to know a little bit more he's got the creep but also the comfort that needs to come with dracula like Nosferatu is kind of eh to me because he's nothing but terrifying. Dracula needs to be suave as well as terrifying and I think Rami Malek really toes that line extremely well. So Rami Malek is Dracula. It's set in the past. It's the only period piece. So he's going to be basically preying on the the town of Transylvania, basically. We're going to make it a small town. He's got to feed his brides, which he already has. Like, even in the original story, he already has plenty of brides. We, we don't care about his origin. It's just there. This is going to be the most traditional, like, old-school feel to it. And ultimately, just like in the original, he'll be both subdued and weakened by Abraham Van Helsing. Now, Van Helsing will not... Truly kill Dracula, but he'll basically knock him out of commission, out of sight, out of mind, for hundreds of years to the present day. So basically, Van Helsing stopped him the first time, but it didn't get the kill shot off. Next, we're gonna get my favorite of the Universal Monsters, the Invisible Man. And the Invisible Man for this movie, you're gonna like this one, Josh, will be played by Hugo Weaving.
1: Yep. Yeah. I have no issue with that. We've discussed that before.
0: Because actually. V for Vendetta just with the Invisible Man makeup. Yes, please. So the premise of this is the Invisible Man will introduce our main core group of characters that we will see in several movies going forward, which will be a group of scientists. Because a lot of the classic universal monster movies are tied by the theme of science. Invisible man becomes what he is because of science. Creature from the Black Lagoon, it's all about exploration and knowledge of in the sake of science um so this group is kind of going to be like an x-files type of they're scientists but also they're curious about the supernatural element of the world and this group is going to be na- led by a man named david played by daniel Bruhl, better known as zemo in the mcu because i think he's an outstanding actor um yeah he's kind of suspicious as a person like you never fully trust him but he's his heart's still in the right place he just a little socially awkward and a little creepy. So, Hugo Weaving will play the Invisible Man. A scientist... Here's the, here's the difference that I'm putting on the Invisible Man twist. He's going to be a scientist testing a dangerous new drug... ...that basically works as... You know how in Amazing Spider-Man, he was able to grow his arm back. So, this mm-hmm. drug basically rebuilds dead tissue and grows back... ...but has the side effect of turning you invisible while also making you crave the drug. So Hmm. he Hmm. continues to be invisible while his brain is deteriorating out of needing this drug. It's like, I can't go back to what I was before. It's kind of very, very similar to Bane's venom in Batman mythology. Basically, I think that'd be a much more interesting spin as opposed to he's already invisible, like the original movie and trying to be visible again or rule the world. His motives kind of just change halfway through. Um, to being so dependent on this invisibility drug um, going forward. And so he begins to get super, super paranoid that people know about his his habit and his drugs. So he starts killing people off, which is where the horror elements come into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so eventually... He's subdued. I don't know if I want to kill him or just put him away because he doesn't show up later. But there's slots that he absolutely could return. So once yeah. he's defeated, we're going to have some teases to future projects. We'll have David talk about how there was a former colleague of ours that used to work here. But now he's over um, some German fellow. Uh, don't really hear about him too much. But the direct connection that we're going to need is the movie's going to end with the crew getting word of some strange fossil findings down in the Amazon. So yeah. that's going to set us up for a few movies down the road. But our next movie, we're going to have to check in with that former German co worker of David's, Dr. <laughs> Frankenstein. <laughs> there we're you go. doing our Frankenstein movie. Now, this movie, he's going to be played by George McKay from 1917. Because I okay. think. That guy is a really, really great actor. Um, And I really, really like his presence. Like, he's kind of smaller and scrawnier, but he's done really, really intense roles. And also, I needed someone younger for details later. So, his motives have also changed. He is trying to create his monster as a way to prove that he can bring back someone from the dead. Why? Because he lost his wife recently. He lost his bride, so to speak. Uh,
1: so we're, we're going full uh, Mr. Freeze on this.
0: Yeah. It makes so <laughs> much sense to me. Why yeah. don't they do this? Of Literally, you already have a bride. Just make it Frankenstein's former bride. Because in the original book, his wife does die at the hands of... Frankenstein's monster, what if the monster, what if she's already dead, it changed the dynamic, so he's trying to build this monster to prove, okay, if I can bring this thing back, then I can bring my wife back, but he's trying, trying and experimenting, and he realizes that the bodies are never fresh enough to complete his experiments, so that he gets the light bulb, well, what if I provide fresh bodies, and pieces for my experiments. So Dr. Frankenstein starts beginning to commit murders and hiding the bodies and experimenting on them. So instead of grave digging, he's killing and taking the pieces for himself to stitch together to make a Frankenstein's monster. So when he finally creates the monster, our Frankenstein's monster will be played by Michael Fassbender. Of course. Because God, he's got that just physique and he's got that presence he can be very very stoic case in point his uh alien movies i think he just would be fantastic for it so he finally creates the monster but at this point the town is getting really really suspicious of all the dozens of dead bodies and people gone missing but frankenstein because he's a genius he pins the murders on the monster instead So that's where the town's hatred for the monster comes from. This false accusation that he was the one that did it. We're already starting to build sympathy for this monster character. So Dr. the murders on Frankenstein. Town thinks they've killed Frankenstein forever. But in reality, Dr. Frankenstein has just stored him away. Never to be seen again. He's like, all right, I found success. My monster lives. And now for our next one. I can bring back my bride. So our Bride of Frankenstein will be played by one Anya Taylor-Joy because she already just looks the part, I think, like, holy crap, I think she's perfect. And the bride itself will be the body of Frankenstein's bride, of his wife, basically. Now, I said it needs to be fresh body parts, but you can pull from other sources. You can get a new Fresh lung, liver, whatever else from the bride for the bride to have, but doesn't quite go as well as he was expecting. So he's able to, using the help of the monster that he created in the last movie, he's able to bring back his bride who, change of pace here, absolutely did not want to come back to life. She immediately <laughs> freaks out not at the monster. But at Dr. Frankenstein, she's abhorrent at the man that he's become. And so she flees with the monster. Instead of her being afraid of the monster, she sees herself as the monster and embraces the monster instead of the man that she knew. So they go run away. And Dr. Frankenstein, naturally, does not handle this well. So he basically rallies the troops within town because they still think he's innocent. And go... Alright, we need to kill the bride and the groom. The townspeople not realizing, oh yeah, wasn't your wife dead? <laughs> um so eventually they they track down the bride and Frankenstein and they kill Frankenstein. The bride is alive, but the bride the townspeople seeing, oh wait, your wife was dead. How is she alive? What kind of dark magic are you using? What kind of evil are you using? So this is the light bulb for the town people going, Oh, it's you! So the townspeople turn and basically rip Dr. Frankenstein apart. The townspeople kill him brutally. We can get the pitchforks and the fire and everything else, the iconic Frankenstein visuals, and finally kill Dr. Frankenstein, who's actually the villain. But at the end of the day... The townspeople realize, just like Halloween Kills, that they've killed the wrong man when they killed the monster. And so now we just have the bride. That's it. But before Frankenstein dies, I almost forgot this, the monster, not the doctor, before the monster dies, he finally says his first words, his dying words, we belong dead. And that's how you end it. Now, we're going to cut back... To our scientist crew, who got that call a few movies ago about the Amazon. They're going to check out The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Now, in the original, there's like three characters that could easily just be molded into one character. And that's exactly what we're going to do. So, instead of having just a generic woman character and a scientist character and the third wheel character, we're just going to merge them into one. So, our main character will be a strong female scientist protagonist played because why not, I just like her, Ana de Armas from Knives Out, I think she's great, um, this is going to be more of a horror comedy, just because the concept of the Creature from the Black Lagoon, it's cheesy over the top name, I think lends itself to more of a self-aware nature, and for changing up the tones, variously, for each movie, like, Dracula was a period piece. Frankenstein and the Bride were tragedies. This this can have a little bit of more lightheartedness that's got more of a swashbuckling action with some meta humor to it. Um, and it brings back any, basically, of the Invisible Man's characters that survived. We'll bring them back for the Creature from the Black Lagoon. That way we have some form of continuity, but also characters that we don't have to completely start from scratch again. We already have some form of attachment to these characters. Um... David, the head of the organization, continues to seem a little bit sketchy and off. But they eventually um, kill the creature from the Black Lagoon. They're about to ship it off to America for further research. When they check inside the box and realize that the body of the creature from the Black Lagoon has been stolen. And that's where we end Creature. Which leads us to probably my favorite title that I have. Frankenstein versus Dracula bloodlines. Which. Okay. Josh said it earlier, but this is going to take heavy inspiration from the Halloween Horror Nights house of the Bride of Frankenstein yeah. lives. So, in this, the basic premise is. The Bride is trying to revive the monster using any means necessary. So she's the one that stole the body of the creature from the Black Lagoon. Maybe there's some science to be gleaned from that. She's gotten her hands on the Invisible Man's drug. Maybe there's some answers there. But most importantly... She has kidnapped several of Dracula's brides and is trying to use their blood to bring back Frankenstein. So, naturally, they're not going to make Dracula too happy, which is going to set up a final fight between the two of them. Using all of her various methods and a lot of experimentation, she's able to finally revive the monster. Inversing what he said, his dying words, you, we belong dead. She exclaims, instead of, it's alive, it's alive, you belong alive. She doesn't care about if she is alive or not. But the innocent monster, which is a weird statement to say, but the innocent monster, in her eyes, deserves to live. Her husband? No. But he does. So now that Frankenstein's monster is back, we can have the fight of the century Frankenstein's monster versus Dracula one-on-one now that Dracula is pissed that the brides have been taken so they're gonna have this big huge fight in Castle Frankenstein um but because it's a tragedy and we've got bigger plans Dracula is gonna win this one pretty handily because Frankenstein's really nothing special he has no superpowers um and Dracula is Dracula However, we're not going to kill off the Bride and Frankenstein. They just have to basically leave. So, Castle Frankenstein is now Castle Dracula. And Bride and the monster are basically banished and gone forever. While Dracula now has all those years of research from the Bride. Has the creature from the Black Lagoon's body. Has Invisible Man's drug. Has... Uh, his bride's back, basically. So he's getting more and more powerful, which will come into play much later. So we've got this big, huge fight epic movie. We need a little bit of a breather, which is where we're going to have more of our self-contained movie, The Wolfman, or The Wolfman, depending on how we want to say that one. And once again, we'll bring back our Invisible Man crew and our Creature from the Black Lagoon crew. But our main Wolfman... It's going to be played by David Harbour because it just makes sense to me. Because in the original, um, the character that becomes a werewolf starts off as a pretty nice guy. Pretty decent. Kind of sketchy, but I don't know if I put that one on the character so much as the gender norms of the time. It's just like, hey, you said no to my date. I'm going to ask like a whole bunch more times. I'm going... Yeah, that, that doesn't feel right, but, um,
1: <laughs>
0: David Harbor's likable, so we'll just change that part of the character. The character has to be likable before he turns into the monster, so to speak. Um, and so he's going to get turned into the werewolf and all hell is going to break loose. And it's bad in this small little town because our science crew is obviously not at their headquarters in case I didn't say that before they were supposedly just on some vacation, But now that things have gone all haywire, the crew realizes, oh, David sent us here for a reason, and it's not what he told us. So, faced with the truth, basically, David has to come clean about everything. After all these movies, we're going to finally figure out what his deal is. He's like, okay, we didn't come here for vacation. We're also here for study, and my name is not David. It's Malachi. Malachi Van Helsing. Yes. There it is. Yeah. You, my ancestors long ago defeated Dracula, but they couldn't get the kill shot. And Dracula has been dormant for hundreds of years, but my family has been tasked to make sure that he can never return. So I have gathered you here all these years. You thought we were just doing scientific research, but essentially... We're keeping an eye on the on the weird things of the world. And things have gotten drastically different in recent years. And Dracula's getting more and more aggressive in his tactics. So, they came to... Wherever the werewolf is attacking. Insert town here. Uh, to ask the gypsies for help. Because they will know more about the supernatural world so much in our universe here. So... Uh, They eventually defeat the Wolfman. However, they don't kill it. They're able to convert David Harbour back to just a regular man for a later date. Now that everything's on the table, we know where our new character, our Van Helsing, lies. That's also why I wanted Daniel uh, Bruhl to cast him. So that way we can still kind of keep the nationality correct. Because I do kind of think you need something along the lines uh, for Van Helsing. We're going to go with our second to last movie... The Mummy, which I've said before, if I ever made a mummy movie, it would be very much like the descent of characters going into a confined, tight space, basically, that they can't escape. So it doesn't matter if the mummy's fast or not. But now there's purpose to it. Van Helsing and his crew of scientists have discovered a lost artifact called the Book of the Undead, which is definitely something that exists in mummy lore already. Uh, With this book, all... Any being that uh, you write down in the book can come back to life. You basically have control of life and death with this book. So they're obviously like, this is a very powerful weapon. Let's make sure we get it. Uh, So they're going to go and get this book before Dracula can get it. Because Dracula will probably be his last weapon that would stop. Basically let him control the world, so to speak. Because Dracula by himself is powerful. But he needs other things for world domination if that is his goal. So they do this mummy mission. It's a combination of mummy and the brides of Dracula doing Dracula's bidding in this environment. So we get a lot of the descent of like these really creepy creatures really just breathing down our main character's necks. So they get the Book of the Undead. They're just about to escape when all... All of the crew, except for Van Helsing, are murdered. So basically, if there's anybody that you liked, they're gone from this. Van Helsing just barely escapes, but he escapes without the book. The brides are able to get the book of the undead back to Dracula, setting the stage for our final movie, Dracula, Gods and Monsters. Which There like, you go. Ooh, just, I almost put... I almost named it Dracula Hellfire, but that was back when I originally wanted it to be a one-on-one fight between Van Helsing and Dracula. Mm. That's not the case anymore because Van Helsing has lost his entire crew. He's going to need some help from some people that have already fought Dracula before and were allowed Mm. to live. He needs to track down in the first third of the movie – The Bride and the Monster, and somehow convince them, okay, I need your help. The world needs your help. Now, it's going to be interesting, obviously, for the monster, who doesn't think the world needs him or wants him and has done nothing but burn him. The Bride is already even more cynical. We're not going to turn them into straight-up heroes. We're still going to make them anti-heroes. But... For a final Universal Monster movie, it's boggled my mind that we haven't just had one epic crossover with everyone. So that's what we're going to do here. You've got Van Helsing, Bride, and the monster all on one team. But then you also have Dracula, the Bride, his Brides. They can reanimate the corpse of the creature from the Black Lagoon. And maybe somehow we can bring in the Wolfman into this. Or maybe Van Helsing can use some of the Invisible Man serum slash drug. I want this final movie to be, for lack of a better term, a monster mash. Basically, <laughs> I want this to be controlled chaos. This will be the most like an epic, epic action adventure movie, not so much a horror. Like some of the ideas in the original Hugh Jackman Van Helsing theoretically were good ideas, but were so poorly executed I just think it's so bizarre that we have not had a giant crossover with everyone yet so that's what we're going to do basically get all of your universal monster action figures and just mash them together that's what the entire last third of this movie is going to be if we want it might be a little self indulgent but we can do some nice black and white slow-mo shots for some stuff Um, but It can only end one way, with Van Helsing himself finally killing Dracula once and for all and burning down Castle Dracula with everyone inside. Whether it's the bride or Frankenstein creature, everyone going to die because it's the final movie and the only one left standing is Van Helsing. Then if we wanted to, we could have maybe like Frankenstein or the bride or someone survive at the end just if we wanted to set up future things maybe like a phantom of the opera movie or a hunchback movie but i i just want that final one to be chaos but also chaos that has been built up as opposed to do something like (laughs) come on now um we don't necessarily have to kill the bride in frankenstein but the fact that they've already died before. I'm like, let, let's kind of definitively kill them off now.
1: Yeah. This isn't a Marvel movie. Everybody just can't come back all the time. Um, yeah, man. No, I like it. It's fun. I'm kind of mad at you for the monster mash thing, but you know, whatever.
0: <laughs> I almost called it monster mash, but I'm like, mm, no, Nah,
1: it's uh they all come to attack Dracula and he, mind controls all of them and starts to make them dance. <laughs>
0: uh, it
1: was the monster mash. <laughs> good times all around i think at the end of the day like and i don't quite understand why this is the case but there hasn't as of like the last five you know what last 10 years there hasn't been really a lot of attempts solid attempts at doing like making a like a universal monster type movie but not making it like this big old like grand like the mummy that Tom Cruise did, obviously, because it's Tom Cruise, and it's, I think, a big reason it doesn't work is because it's trying to be an action movie, with a horror style character, and it just doesn't quite. It doesn't make. There's too many things going on that don't connect with each other, and just you can't. It's just weird. So I, 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 I think, and this is reflected in kind of your your list as well. Is I think these kinds of movies are can absolutely be made now you just have to like i don't know respect the source material and the genre that it's in
0: yeah like frankenstein no dracula makes sense for like a main villain take over the world thing the mummy really doesn't no not because even in the original one with boris karloff he's just trying to basically get a girl that's it (laughs) like yeah um yeah, I know sometimes it'll stray into action, but I think with each of my movies, they have their own special genre that are absolutely nothing but fan service. But the MCU is showing the fan service isn't necessarily a bad thing, and mm-hmm. it could work. I, ju- I just want them all in one movie. I don't care how it happens. Just make it happen and better than Van Helsing.
1: I think at the end of the day, the best thing that you and I have come up with so t- uh, in this uh, session is uh, uh, Tucker and Dale meeting with (laughs) all of the universal monsters. Um, But yeah, uh, yeah, it's stories to be told here. And just like, I don't understand why, like, especially after the witch, I don't understand why we, like, that we aren't seeing more uh, attempts at doing like legitimate, legitimately scary or like just like movies that make sense. With Universal monster characters, if we can have 18 Robin Hood movies, I don't understand why we can't do a, like another, like it, like a decent stab at like The Bride yeah. of Frankenstein or like The Creature of the Black Lagoon. Well, I guess you know what is it? Living what, what shape, living of water. Water, shape of water? Shape of water is as a Black Lagoon story technically, but yeah.
0: Well. What do you guys think if we if you were to ever reboot the classic Universal monsters? What approach would you take? Let us know. We always like hearing from you guys. And as always, if you like what you see, and you want to see more, subscribe to us on whatever audio platform you're listening to us on. Whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube, and if you haven't already, subscribe to us on YouTube at Uncharted Media. And as always, stay sharp, movie guys and gals.